Hello and welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast by Richards Lerma, an omnicultural advertising agency in Dallas, Texas. I am your co-host today. I'm Emily Puig, a digital strategist. And I am Alvaro Polanco, a brand manager. And today we are talking to Julia, and I don't want to mispronounce your last name because I know I will. <laughs> so I would love you to say it for me. You can just go, is that cool, chick? Esther Kolchik. Okay, got it. Esther Kolchik. The reality is Esther Kolchik, but you can just say Esther Kolchik. Somebody that uh, in an agency told me this many years ago that that was her way of remembering my last name, and I thought that's pretty cool. Oh, we're putting that in the title of this episode. (laughs) Interview with that cool chick. I love that. that That's awesome. (laughs) Julia, you are a highly experienced marketing professional from Argentina with both client and agency experience. Your current role is Director of Brand Marketing at Match Affinity, which is part of Match Group. A quick recap for our listeners, Match Group owns its namesake, Match.com, and many other relationship apps and sites, including OkCupid and Tinder. Uh, But your focus at Match is with Match Affinity, which caters towards specific cultural demographics, Uh, with Chispa, Our Time, Black People Meet, among a few others. So it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Looking at your background, you've seen both sides of the coin. You've worked in advertising, and now you have a lot of experience on the client side of things. So to start things off, we wanted to ask you, what's your opinion now that you've seen a lot more of the client side, and what's that difference been? Is there something in that gap that you'd like to be created, or what have been your experiences? Being on the client side has given me a different perspective, probably on things that are soft on the agency side, probably particularly for the account management team and the strategy Mm -hmm. teams. I had experience on the client side before I joined Match, and back then I realized how little context I had when I was at agencies before. I think when we're at agencies, um, and for example, our clients are not responsive and not responding to us or take a while to get back to yeah. us or make decisions. We still believe that we are a priority because they are a priority to us. Yeah. Our projects are a priority to us as agency people. And on the other side, you see the full-time job that these people have and all the other aspects that they have to manage. And that advertising is just a piece of that. It is a very important piece, but it's not the only priority and it affects everything else that you do or everything else affects advertising and those decisions as well. So I think it just made me a better professional. When I went back to the agency after these four years on the startup um, that I was in, um, I had a much better perspective, a better conversations or smarter conversations with clients, uh, more interesting conversations for clients and a better ability to help from the account management standpoint. It's a good opportunity for anyone on the agency side to be able to experience the client side. Aside of all the things that we believe are great on the client side and maybe better than at an agency, which is maybe you have more power to make decisions, you have more flexibility when it comes to timelines and things like that. But aside from that, I think from a business standpoint, it enables you to do a much better job. It gives you a more perspective, better context, and more tools to do a better job when you go back to the agency. So my going back to the agency was actually in Dallas. That's why I moved to Dallas. And I felt I was better prepared to have conversations with clients then. That's awesome. That perspective um, really comes in handy. You're right. We we put our clients first in absolutely everything we do, and that's a good thing for us. But understanding that they have other things going on is very important, and I think not something we always think about. So 
but you are no longer uh, agency side. You are you are currently at Match.com. So Match is really Match Group. Match owns about uh, forty five brands. We have a number of different apps. Some have to do with relationship intent. So people who are looking for more serious relationship, and that would be our match brand. Mm -hmm. uh, people may be looking for more casual relationships, and that could be Tinder or Hinge. Um, so some of the brands we own are some probably of the most popular ones and the ones everyone knows. Uh, we obviously own Match. Uh, match also owns Tinder, Hinge, OkCupid, okay Plenty of Fish. Black People Meet, Our Time, and a bunch of other brands. Um, within Match, um, I work for a team that's called Match Affinity. And Match Affinity is really where all the apps that we have that serve specific communities uh, kind of live. So within both platforms, the Match or Serious Intent platform and the Casual one, we have different apps and sites that are designed to serve specific community and community needs. And by community, I don't, I mean obviously cultural communities like African American and Hispanic but also uh, could be communities that are from uh, lifestyle preferences, religious preferences, um, and, and, and just different, uh, different um, uh, tribes, yeah. if, you, if you wish. Yeah. And so Match Affinity really is the group that develops and serves and markets these apps that target specific communities. And within that, my role is brand marketing in there. So I'm director of brand marketing for our affinity apps and sites, which means that I get to work with Hispanics and African-Americans, primarily Hispanics, African-Americans, and baby boomers, or people over 50. That also expanded my view of the market in general, because yeah. also my, my experience had been in U.S. Hispanic or Latin America, and now I get to see this from a, a different point of views. Yeah, well. knowing, I mean, obviously we are a multicultural <coughs> agency, so we think about all of the different groups that are in the market and available to uh, market from our clients. It's interesting to think about that from a romance perspective. Okay. It's also interesting to think that, um, you know, a lot of these groups are out there and have power either in finding love or in buying power and an impact on our clients. But a lot of brands are just kind of waking up to that. So it's great to hear that Match is already yeah. prioritizing groups and making sure that they have access to love just like anyone else. Or um, I think that it's a very unique opportunity as yeah. a marketer, obviously, but as a company because we don't really market the same product to different communities. Yeah or just market them differently for these communities, we actually have specific products yeah. that are meant to be used by these communities. And so as a marketer, it's probably different than anything else I've touched. Obviously, the category is also very different than anything else I've touched because it talks about emotions and relationships and love, and that is something very, very personal. Um, it really impacts somebody's life for the long term when it happens. Um, it's very different than... Uh, marketing cars or yeah. yogurt mm -hmm. or anything like that where what you're selling the experience that you're selling is either functional or emotional but it's really short-lived mm -hmm. it's you know a, a smile <laughs> one moment at a time when you eat chocolate is the sense of having made it in the U.S. and a symbol of self-expression maybe when you're talking about cars uh, and maybe nutrition when you're talking about specific food or cereal um, when you're talking about connecting people, you can change their lives in a very meaningful way. Yeah. And so that makes this category very different. And then in the case of Match, having products that actually serve these different communities, 
gives you the ability to have to be able to just think about these communities versus trying to fit in the multicultural aspect into a mainstream product yeah. or a mainstream strategy. And that's really uh, something wonderful uh, to experience. And it's incredible because usually any brand, they're thinking, who's our target? Who are we aiming at? Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me that your target is everyone because I feel someone that's looking for a car, you can think, oh, not everybody's looking for a car or they're looking for this type. And then you start looking at the niche environments. But it sounds like everyone's looking for love in some mm -hmm. different way, shape, or form. Everyone's Every a consumer. Yeah. Everyone's a consumer, uh, definitely. And so that's very, very different also than other categories because even if you are in a relationship, everyone is a fan of love. So everyone is a fan of the product that we market, yeah. <laughs> whether you use it or not, whether that's the right app or site for you, everyone is a fan of love. We've all experienced it in different ways. So everyone can relate to that. Yeah. And so uh, it's really a unique uh, category mm -hmm. uh, for a marketer, definitely a very unique category. And it, and it does still feel relatively new, right? Uh, dating in a, quote, like, non-traditional or online facilitated way is still new to certain groups anyway. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned Definitely. baby boomers specifically. Tell us a little bit about the history of dating on the Internet, of online dating. Match obviously owns all of these different properties for a reason because that evolution has changed the way we connect with people. <laughs> so I'm going to tell the story of online dating as I see it. Yeah. As I crafted before, I think the story of online dating begins with personal ads. And that's really okay. the origin when people were posting, were using newspapers to connect with others. And just as On you were looking for right? a refrigerator, <laughs> you were looking for love. And the first ads, they back to the late 1600 in the UK. Uh, people started to take advantage of these growing sections of the newspaper of personal ads. They saw an opportunity. They were, by the 1800, they were the biggest or the most, uh, the most important way of meeting people outside of your inner circle, which is what people really wanted. Yeah. By the late 1900s and beginning of, or beginning of 1900s, late 1800s, this is when the war happened. So the next wave, the first wave is this personal ads. The next wave is actually uh, something that was called the Lonely Soldiers Movement that happened around 1910. And basically this group of young men in the UK realized that there were going to be all these very young fighters, uh, these soldiers that still needed a way to entertain themselves and stay connected and socially connected to others. So they saw an opportunity to enable this through the personal sections, uh, the personal ads sections in the newspaper. Um, originally, this was happening at agricul in agricultural newspapers only, and some less than reputable uh, newspapers. Uh, but then this this group of men uh, were enabling for, sol for soldiers to post these ads, where they, for example, would say, you know, lonely young soldier is looking for someone to send them comforts in the shape of socks and cigarettes and tobacco. <laughs> And that was hugely successful. Wow. Some of these soldiers were receiving about 800 packages a day. And the military had a big issue with that yeah. because they were concerned that this would compromise the transport and security of the mail. And we were talking about a time of war and wartime security. So they really tried to shut it down. But that's really kind of like the second wave if you want in this kind of dating or meeting people or connecting with people outside your inner circle or what your friends can introduce you to. And then I think the next important milestone happened in the 1950s. There was this woman in the UK 
she was working at a marriage agency and she realized she had a great talent for connecting people or kind of uh, getting coupling mm -hmm. people, if you wish. Um, and she was actually connecting people based on what they didn't want in a relationship, not what they want. <laughs> um, similar to one app that's around uh, the market right now that's called Hater, I think. <laughs> like crisis control. <laughs> right. And she was also an innovator. So she was an innovator. And she was also an innovator because she started using something that was called timeshare computer. And timeshare computer was basically renting time in a computer to run your own programs. Oh, wow. And this is how we use the cloud now to do things that you wouldn't be able to do with the personal infrastructure you own. So these clouds allow us to do that. And this is what computer sharing would allow back in the, in the 50s and in the 60s. She was super successful. She is, there's record that she's the first person to run a successful computing dating service anywhere, really in Europe and anywhere. And then in the early 60s, there was a group back in the US in Harvard who had heard about the success that this woman was having. And they decided to replicate, quote unquote, steal, experiments, <laughs> copy, yeah. if you wish, this experiment in Harvard called Operation Match in 1964. And Operation Match, really the way it worked is you would pay, I think, um, $3 for five dates. So the way it would work is you would fill out a punch card or a questionnaire. You would mail it back to them. Huh. They would run it on time-sharing computers. And then maybe three weeks later, like there was no swiping, not liking, no wink, no instant gratification, yeah. no texting and all that. It was like old-fashioned mail. So three weeks after or so, or maybe a month after, you would receive a letter with your suggested matches uh, and their information that you could meet. And they were selling this service as really experiment with the most powerful computer, uh, matchmaking computer, boy slash girl. And you can mm -hmm. find the ads of this experiment. Super interesting. Now, the very interesting thing that I found about this particular thing is that just like Tinder, this thing launched in colleges. When they roll it out, they roll it out to 50 cities and I think 1,500 colleges in the U.S. Wow. After it started in Harvard and, 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 and about 100,000 people had tried it, they roll it out to about 3 million people. Very similar to how Tinder was born, which really launching colleges and doing kind of gorilla activations uh, and college parties. So that's really kind of like how we got to online dating and then... Um, from there, you know, you have email becoming the daily form of communications um, around the 80s. And then from there, you have the launch of Match in 94 by a man that also had the idea that the relationship market was dominated by personal ads and marriage agencies and 900 dating services. Oh my gosh. That were very expensive and very inefficient. So this man had a great idea of create an online database of all these personal ads. People could search through all these ads much faster. It would be cheaper. It would be more efficient. And so he actually had the same idea for more ordinary or everyday services, such as houses and jobs and cars. And when he pitched to the investors the idea of doing much, he basically said, we want to launch with match.com because that is probably the sexiest category and yeah. it's going to get more eyeballs. But when he actually got out and launched Match, 
He also owned then jobs.com, houses.com, uh, sex.com, and cars.com. Wow. Uh, so also a very innovative yeah. person and, yeah, and a visionary, clearly. Um, and then the world kept going on until I think that the next big milestone um, that I could probably mention, and there are others, Match at some point became the exclusive service for Yahoo Personals, and there was a big section of Yahoo Personals. In fact, I met the other day someone who told me uh, who met, that met his wife on Yahoo Personals. I've never met anyone. <laughs> Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so the big one would be probably the launch of Tinder, which really changed the category and introduced a few elements uh, that were very, very new to the category. This dynamic way of finding somebody using just your intuition and distance. And the two big elements really are the swiping, which were the first ones to introduce swipe right and swipe left. And the second one was this dual opt-in that didn't exist before that you actually had to like the other person. Both mm-hmm. of you had to like one another and choose one another before you can start communicating. Before that, as long as you were paying a paying subscriber to a service, you could send that person a message. That person could choose not to respond. But you didn't have the choice of matching before starting a communication. Interesting. It's almost like the gamification uh-huh. of That's exactly dating what actually probably made it better. And I actually want to ask something about the gamification because in Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance, he talks about the fact that a lot of people nowadays, they're more into the playing of the game and staying online and seeing who they swipe right. And they say that there's a huge amount of people that say, yes, I am on Tinder, but I don't actually go on the dates. Uh And they say that a lot of people spend their time there. And what Aziz was trying to say is that instead of spending all their time online, they need to spend a little more time in the actual meeting of people. I was wondering if you've seen actually any percentages of that and like if you maybe know the turnover of actual people that actually fulfill those dates. I don't have that information off the top of my head, not even sure that I, that's something I could share. We do know how much people swipe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a big number. Yeah. People swipe a lot. <laughs> a lot. People swipe right a lot. They swipe left a lot. They just swipe in general. They love the okay. action. They love the window shopping. Mm-hmm. That this enable all of a sudden that you didn't have before and all of a sudden the possibility of maybe, what if, you know, you never know if you don't swipe. You never know if you don't slide right and things like that. And so, um, yes, I think a lot of people are using it. Definitely Tinder brought an entertainment value, I think, to the category that the category perhaps didn't have before. I think the category probably had that before, but you actually, it was set up in a different way where the relationship intent was always serious and like finding a real long lasting Mm -hmm. relationship uh, versus doing this like quick thing. You had to spend a lot of time creating your profile. And so you had to invest time and money to find your relationship or your someone special. And this thing, what added is that kind of light way to go about it, which obviously comes with pros and cons, like everything. Absolutely. You know, there's also a very light way to disappear mm-hmm. from somebody's <laughs> life too. Yeah. Uh, but this, a lot of these dynamics existed before online dating, just people didn't register them na- before. And I think online they, they didn't make them more visible yeah. to everyone. Social media in general made it very easy to expose these pros and cons as well of the category, but I think a lot of these dynamics existed before. So yes, I agree with you, there's a lot of gaming. There's actually a match launch a few months ago, a new product, a new app that incorporates a lot of that social aspect. Um, we launched an app called Ship, 
um, that actually comes in a way from friendship where you let your friends swipe on your behalf so you create these different troops of friends and you let them swipe because one thing that we notice is that that a lot of people were like hey you know they play wanna, with me yes yeah. that's how i saw tinder for the first time actually somebody was using it next to me and i'm like okay swipe <laughs> and can i respond to messages too uh you know that person too i think <laughs> um so yeah so we look at those behaviors and we try to incorporate i think much does a really good job in trying to incorporate this popular behavior that and they continue to change and they continue to evolve and if you look at tinder and what tinder does and even much much as added coaching services so we try to respond to basic needs that have to do with dating the dating journey and the different needs depending on the app or site that you decide to use and that seems like a clear reflection of the modern dating scene that you Basically. see people treat it more like a game You can date multiple people at the same time. <laughs> anyway, yes, you can stop answering to somebody's message. Ghosting. <laughs> and, and, you know, the same precaution or the same care that you were paying on real-life dates. Like, you wouldn't meet somebody at a bar and then gave them your credit card number. Yeah. <laughs> and so you probably shouldn't do that online either. <laughs> Absolutely. And so if you didn't go to somebody's house the night you met them, you probably shouldn't do that when you meet somebody online. So a lot of... These dynamics, a lot of this precaution, a lot of this care that you put and attention that you paid when before online dating existed, all those applied uh, when you're online dating as well. Um, this, I think, gives you the possibility of filtering a little bit, of having conversation before you go out just in your pajamas, but really having the opportunity to interact with a bunch of people, get to know them a little better. Um, yes, obviously people lie. Uh, and might misrepresent themselves, some of them, but that also happened in real life, too. Absolutely. Uh, that That is really interesting to think about. You know, we, we say it's something that's, air quotes, new, but in reality, people have been lying to people they've been dating forever. That is not completely new. <laughs> There were stalkers before exactly. as well. Stalking existed before online dating. Absolutely. Um, so... Sometimes, you know, it's a challenge because it, and definitely the stigma is disappearing. Yeah. Um, probably four out of ten people uh, or relationships started online. And so the stigma is disappearing. The fact that Facebook just launched dating services also validates that this has become mainstream, regardless of whether or not you trust them enough to use it or not, or this is your thing or not which is a big part of the conversation, but I think in, in a big part of what it does is validates that this has become a mainstream category and is as valid and okay to say you met somebody on a dating app than any other way. I, the first time somebody told me that they met the spouse online, I felt sorry for them. And I was like, oh, how pathetic your life is. <laughs> you have to meet somebody. And so this was many, many, many years ago. Yeah. But now that doesn't exist anymore. Yes, there are, to your point before, there are groups that, are new to this category or newer to this category because brands have not talked to them mm -hmm. before. But in general, for the mainstream consumer, I think the stigma has uh, disappeared, uh, at least in the U.S. And much has actually grown a lot globally in the last few years, and we have presence in 190 countries, wow. actually. But some countries, when you think about it, like dating in the U.S. is very different than dating in Asia Absolutely. or dating in India and what things are socially acceptable, so you have to kind of adapt based on what the life stage of the category in that specific market and towards that specific consumer segment. So as online dating 
becomes less and less stigmatized now even globally. I'm curious if in the U.S. if there are certain groups that are now flocking to these services and you getting to like see this evolution and this almost dating revolution, what what groups of people are, are coming that you, you didn't see before? Definitely a group that's grown tremendously is the 50 plus. I think it's triple in the last five years wow, or something like incredible. that. Yes, I think part of it is obviously the familiarity with computers and being comfortable with all that and people are getting older. Yeah. Some people who might have started using Tinder just a few years from now are going to be using a, our time, yeah. which is our site for people over 50. And so I think part of it is generationally this has changed because more and more we're getting people who are native to computers versus people that you know, started using computers later in life. And so I think part of it, and the second part of it is that the world has moved uh, into having to use a computer to do everything. So people in general are more comfortable with using apps, with using sites. It is definitely a wonderful service, particularly for people over 50, because when you think about it, the rest of the market can still meet people in person socially. They are in the workforce, so they're working with people and socializing. They're going out with friends. Their friends are single and can introduce them to other singles. And so there are other ways. People still choose to go on dating apps because our natural behavior is now to be with our phone mm-hmm. and be looking at apps all the time. So that's just an, a choice that we voluntarily make. Uh, but when you think about as people get older, um, their opportunities to meet others are shrinking. And so if you think about somebody in their 60s or 65 or 70, they're no longer working, so they're no longer interacting with others. And so they're no longer meeting people at work. They are probably empty nesters, so their kids are out of college, so they're no longer interacting with other parents. Not going to the soccer mm-hmm. match no, anymore. So they can meet people there. Most of their friends are either married and or in a relationship, so they don't have other friends to introduce them, nor they're going to go to a bar to yeah. meet people. And so there are some markets that are great opportunities that didn't have this before, and we are seeing a lot of growth. There are even new products uh, marketing to this segment as well. So I would definitely think that. And, you know, we launched two new apps in the last couple of years. We launched what we call the Black Tinder and then the Latino Tinder. And so our Black Tinder is called BLK and the Latino Tinder is called Chispa. This was our first format. We had other, we had like Latino people meet. We had, but nothing like this. And really actively marketing to these communities and we're seeing great, great success with these apps. I can tell you that these people were not doing it before, but the fact that we're offering them a place where they can find people who are looking for people like them is changing the dynamics and the appetite to explore these apps. Now, I think that's fascinating because just I was generalizing before and I thought that the trend was that now that you have this infinite pool of people, before people... I think those baby boomers, they used to think, I need to find someone around my neighborhood, someone that I know Mm -hmm. who will be a good companion, that we can build life together, all of that. And now people are thinking, now I can look at the world. I can meet someone in another country, just try to find that other soulmate. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought that that pool was opening, but by having match affinity, it sounds like there are some people that want to stay within their communities instead of looking for other people that come from Uh, diverse backgrounds. So that's an interesting um, appetite to date uh, within your same cultural group. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very interesting thing because when you actually op- openly ask that, you will hear a lot of people say, no, I don't want to be limited. I don't consider myself as someone who limits mm-hmm. themselves and all that. Yet there's a lot of appetite for dating within culture. And when you think about it, and, and <coughs> um, I 
did a presentation on this too. Part of the fundamentals of romantic love have to do with commonalities, having something in common with the other person, um, as well as social acceptance, meaning that your relationship has the opportunity to be accepted by your social circle. Mm. And so relationships that where people have something in common and where there is a possibility of it being accepted by one's social circle have more opportunities to succeed. So when you think about what brings people together, if you're thinking about commonalities and the social acceptance, you start to think that this culture thing is a big pillar yeah. in for these groups. Think about human relationships being hard enough as is. Now, when you don't have this similar cultural background, Absolutely. it adds other layers. So when you have the opportunity to, as a Latino, to bring somebody home who can maybe speak the same language as your parents or grandparents, who understands how you celebrate Christmas, that we open the presents on the 24th, not on the 25th. Um, someone who understands your taste profile and the type of foods you like. Somebody who knows that we stayed at a table for 40 minutes after we finished eating with all the exactly. dishes on the table. And we don't mind and we don't want the check. We want to stay there talking. And so all of a sudden being able to connect, even if you're not openly saying that's what you want, it naturally happens. A lot of people that I know ended up marrying people within culture. They were not necessarily looking for that. But it just happened to them, you you have that thing that is deeper, that is ingraining you, that helps you connect mm -hmm. and celebrate culture. And then there's other aspects, for example, in the African-American culture and what we call black love. And for this community, it's very important that continuation of black love. And for the Hispanic community, that continuation of our heritage, but also of our traditions and our culture and being able to teach my children that. And, and the fact that I can find a partner that can help me in that thing about maintaining cultural life while that person can connect well with my family and my social circle is priceless. So that doesn't mean that people don't go on mainstream apps mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. People tend to use three or more apps at any given time. Wow. Keep your options Just open. Just like people. <laughs> yeah. That's another big difference uh, with any other category. Normally, you know, you kind of like, if you launch a competitive product, you are cannibalizing within category. And so in our case, it's different because, you know, when you buy a car, if you buy a Toyota, Toyota you're not buying a Honda. <laughs> that day or that year or that month. Um, with dating apps that doesn't happen, you can be on Tinder and Hinge and Chispa at the same time. But with this, what this app provides is a more kind of uh, level playing field, if you want, because I go on mainstream apps, but then I go on these community apps where race and skin color no longer plays a role on the questions that I have to answer to. And so, for example, if you take you know, African-American women, they're pretty have, and there are some studies on this, the most challenging time on dating apps. And part of what happens is there's a lot of stigma around what they are and what they represent. And they're being hypersexualized and things like that. But also part of what they're saying is a challenge is that people are saying things like, I've never been with a black woman before. So they become this flavor of the day or this exotic thing. So now when you go to a black app, you no longer have that because you know that people know that they are, they are going to find black people. So you take race and skin color out of the equation yeah. because that's what people are looking for. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, going back to your question, I think people, if you ask, will openly say, no, I don't want to be limited. But in the end, they end up connecting. And the things that we hear, I get tons of, for example, on GISPA, 
tons of emails from success couples that were telling me, you know, I was looking for a Cubanito and I couldn't find it. And then there was Chispa <laughs> and I found my, and so you hear all these things. Or for example, I got one the other day who told me that she is studying her PhD um, and I can remember the market, but she's like, thank you so much for Chispa because where I live, there aren't many Latinos. So Chispa yeah. gave me an opportunity to connect with others whom I have things in common with. And so it's an interesting, uh, it's the whole thing, it's very social and so not tangible. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> so we've brought up two things now that, that have me going down an even deeper rabbit hole, so stay with me. But we've, <laughs> talked about, <laughs> we've talked about people actively seeking out people that they know they have a commonality with, whether mm -hmm. it's racial, cultural, it is, it, is a, it is a deeper connection probably than what you would just get by swiping right or left, and that's why you subscribe to a certain app. We've also talked about Match being on kind of the cutting edge of whatever the next dating trend is, uh, also obviously being on the forefront of technology apps and going from online to this kind of more mobile world. One of the things that we were talking about as we were prepping for this podcast is another huge trend that is changing a lot of industries, and that is the role of DNA in things like uh, you know finding your ancestors, understanding mm -hmm. more about yourself your health and, and what uh, what services you'll need in the future. Is there a world where our DNA dictates who we match with on a dating app? I can say no. I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Yeah. I, I can anticipate. It's like VR. It's like, is there a world where you go on a virtual reality date yeah. with someone? Wow. I can say I know this is happening because I don't and because there's a lot of things when it comes to strategy and innovation that I don't personally have visibility on. And there's a lot of advanced research done in these things way before I come Absolutely. Uh, to the table to know about these things. Uh, but I have to think the answer is yes, because right now I think the answer is yes to pretty much every possibility. Are there any uh, other trends that are a little closer on the horizon then that we should be looking <laughs> out for? Should we be looking out for VR dates before, before dates set up by DNA? I think we're looking at different communities and different communities and tribes appear every day. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what my group is focusing yeah. on, these different social groups that show up, not necessarily ethnic or race, just new groups that show up based on what happened yeah. in the world. Uh, like, you know, at some point with Trump was campaigning, there was a Trump supporter app. Really? Um, yes. And so, yeah, so a lot of these things have, have to do with what's happening in the world. The other big focus that continues to be a focus for our company as well as for all of our competitors out there, I think, is safety and security and how Absolutely. do you continue ensuring you can provide the best experience, the safest experience for our members. So I think those are the two things. Is like how do you start these new communities for, because when you identify one, we do research to make sure, to your point, that these people have interest, a genuine interest in dating within culture, within their tribe. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you belong to a tribe and that doesn't really mean that you have appetite for that. Uh, but sometimes it does. So I think a lot of the exploration that we do in terms of the opportunity 
has to do with how much appetite these communities or these tribes have for dating one another. And the other big aspect I would say is safety, which is an ongoing conversation, an ongoing improvement. Uh, Matt is heavily involved, our, our global CEO is of Match Group is heavily involved in um, committees and consoles that discuss this and implement new filters, new ways of detecting fraud, and new ways of banning users. Um, so yeah, so that's a lot of the, the focus as well. It's on innovation and safety, yeah. I would say. That is, that is a wonderful innovation, knowing how many people's lives you are ingrained in. That is incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. So a lot has to do with how do you ensure the best experience. Again, I think Match is responsible for enabling a connection. We can really guarantee how a date is going to go. No one can. Mm-hmm. Um, no one can come and tell us, well, you know, I married someone I met with at Match. And uh, and then I got divorced because I mean divorce also existed before yeah. much. In terms of them making the connection or helping people connect, that is where the focus is, and both the barriers as well as the triggers for entering the category. I have one question I want to get out there more on a personal side. Yes. Working at Match, have you witnessed anyone within the staff at Match find their match within there just from working in the office? Uh, yes, actually, my boss married another match employee. Uh, there are more, but I know this because <laughs> I know this because I know this. Both of them uh, were working at Match. Um, he doesn't work at Match anymore, but they met. Well, they both work at Match. And offline. And there are more offline. Yes, wow. but at Match as well. Still, Match is. Re- we still consider that a Match success couple. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And and also a personal question: What would be on your personal Match or Tinder profile, whatever your platform of choice is? Um, like an honest one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You can I lie if you want. Know. No one's going to know. <laughs> um, I think I would have to talk about uh, my um, desire for exploration and to get to know as many people, as many cultures, as many countries as I can. Um, and my openness to explore this. Um, and then the millions of hobbies I have. Probably, because I have like a million hobbies. Awesome. So it's probably going to be like a very long section. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. People can look you up on LinkedIn. That is Julia. That's probably the best one. Estacolchik. Be sure that if you are connecting with people online, you are following Richard Slerma on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, this podcast. Uh, Our handles across all social are at Richard Slerma, and you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it now, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and make sure that wherever you find it, you share it with other people that give a shit about advertising. You can also let us know what you think about this podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or any of our social handles. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back in your feeds very, very soon. Bye.